Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. I have a two-year-old son, and and I showed uh, Jimmy and Serena this this morning, but uh, we just bought one of these music stands, and he loves to get in front of the music stand and pretend like he's preaching. And his first sermon was, Jesus loves you. And he was preaching to my five-month-old son, Henry, and man, don't we need to hear that? Jesus loves you. And if you remember anything of any sermon I've ever preached, um, if you remember anything tonight, remember that. Jesus loves you. We need to hear that because here we are in the um, first actual full week of the semester, Monday. And some of you guys might be completely exhausted and like, how am I going to get through this? And I hear you, and I feel you, and I want to encourage you, and I hope that the Word will do that tonight. Let's pray that it does. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Word would be made clear. We pray that we would know deeply the love of Jesus for each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, we are going through a series looking at the named of Jesus What does he call himself? He has these sayings called the I am sayings. But what's so significant about that? What's in a name? Um, And before I get into that, so we're going to kind of introduce this idea of I am. Why is that so significant? Before we do that, I want to kind of generally talk about some, some issues we have going on. Um, Don't worry, I'm not going to get into politics. But these are just things that I feel like we all experience in our day and age. So there are going to be two things that we kind of experience. And then the third thing is just a result. And I want to illustrate it through uh, the number Google. Did anyone know that Google, the search engine, got its name from this mathematical term, which is one with 100 zeros behind it. Google. I don't know if I'm actually pronouncing that correctly. Maybe, uh, maybe Tyler, you can tell me. Um, but it is meant to mean a, an incomprehensibly large number. And if you go and search on Google, which we do all the time, usually you get your hit, you know, first couple, first couple uh, entries on your search results, you got it. But if you go all the way to the bottom, you see that there are 10 zeros. And thankfully, we do not have to search through all of those 10 most of the time. But imagine if you were. Imagine if you were trying to get to the end of the internet. It is impossible, right? It's incomprehensible, this information age we live in. There is so much information. There is so much data. There is so much out there. It's so hard to get to the bottom of it. Now, there are upsides to this. Maybe we will cure cancer. Certainly, COVID uh, is going to be eradicated, Lord willing, because of the age we live in. But the downside is, how do we have meaning to all of this information? How do we unite it? How do we bring all the fragments together in our lives to have any meaning? 
some of you guys who went to Splash, maybe this is your first year, or maybe it's your first year going to Splash in person, it is overwhelming. I mean, there are over 500 clubs at BU, and everybody's out there. Everybody's trying to hand out their flyers, their uh, color-changing stadium cups and everything, and you probably came away having signed up for dozens of clubs, and now you're wondering, how many of those can I actually be a part of? How many of those can I go to? With our vast array of options in our world today, what do we have? We have decision fatigue. We have FOMO, like nobody's business. It's hard to be content. Now, the second situation I think we find ourselves in, um, I'm going to illustrate through the great company, Apple. Um, talk about anxiety of like keeping up with the trends. Apple does this to me like nothing else. Like I know right around this time, every fall, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think every fall they somehow drop the new iPhone. It's about every year. Is it tomorrow? Okay, guys, now you know. Go and get the new iPhone. Um, but the change is inevitable, right? It's always changing. My battery is depleting and I'm always anxious. Like, well, am I gonna get one that's too old where the battery's just gonna die really quickly or am I getting the best technology? We are exhausted a lot of times by the rapid rate of change in our world, right? You guys, uh, if you've just moved here and maybe you did LFA from your hometown and you just moved here to do classes in person, there's a big change that's just happened in your life. And you might think, you know, it's only four years here, maybe less. How do I put down roots? How do I actually think about settling when it's just gonna change all over again? What about these friends I'm making as a freshman? Are they actually gonna be friends with me next year? Do I actually make friends? Do I actually set roots? Do I actually let them in on who I am? This uncertainty and hesitancy about commitment is in part because things are changing so rapidly. I think a, a good analogy of the way I often feel because of these two things, the overload of information and then the rapid pace of change just in life on all levels, I feel like I'm in a race. <laughs> I feel like I'm racing to the front. I'm racing, searching for something, searching for something that's gonna make me feel like I'm okay, like things are gonna be okay. This may be how you feel. If you're not running, if you're not out towards the front of the pack, you're being left behind. And when it comes to the deeper things in life, like friendship and like your spiritual life, your spiritual journey, your relationship with God, sometimes you can feel this way as well. Like it's a race. Are you doing enough? Are you up ahead where you need to be? It's no wonder we live in what's called an anxious age. No wonder we're exhausted. So where do we turn? I want to look at three different things illustrated by these three different images um, about Jesus. In the centuries leading up to Jesus, 
there were people who were expecting a Messiah. And these people were uh, of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish ethnicity. And um, when this man named John came, as we read in this passage, people wondered, hey, is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? Is this the one that has been promised of old? And he makes this kind of like inverse I am statement. He says, I am not the Christ, but I am the one paving the way for him. I am the one who is here to point to Christ. I want to get back to uh, John and what he says about the Christ when he actually introduces him. And just uh, to clarify, there's John the Baptist and there's John, the author of the gospel, two different Johns. Um, So the gospel of John begins using this Greek word, logos. It is where the, uh, the English word logic comes from. And in that time and place, to say, in the beginning was the word, capital W, word, it would indicate, it would point to this divine reason. The Greeks understood the logos to be this thing that they couldn't really describe, they didn't really have a name for, but it was the thing that held everything together. It was this divine wisdom that's out there. Maybe someone or somebody knows how all these pieces fit together. Um, When John introduces Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus introduces himself all throughout the Gospel of John, he uses the two words, I am, and then he states something about himself. Now these three ideas, the Logos, the Lamb of God, and the I am, are really critical for us to understand as we move forward. The reason why is, Right at the get-go, the Gospel of John, which later the concept of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, that's a very Jewish notion. But right at the outset, he's speaking to non-Jews. He's speaking to all Greeks, the the, the people um, who were not Jewish. In other words, the Gentiles. He was including them in the audience of this book. That's really important to know. When we think about going back to this idea of the uh, information overload, I know they didn't have the internet back then, but I imagine with the plurality of gods and temples and things that they could worship, even back then in the first century AD, I'm sure there was a little bit of confusion. Okay, which one is right? Which god? Which religion is right? And so they had this concept of this this kind of overarching divine wisdom. And here, the author of John is saying, it's Jesus. He is the Logos, the divine reason, the word. He has come to earth in the flesh. This is it. In him we live and move and have our being. Christ at the end of the age is going to unite all things together in himself. 
this information overload, this fragmentation that we feel, this overwhelming sense of there's so many options, Jesus speaks peace. He is the word. He is the glue that fits it all together. And it gets better. When uh, John the Baptist introduces Jesus, he introduces him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this concept of the Lamb of God brings us all the way back to one of the first books in the Bible of Exodus. I want to go back there just for a little bit. We're going to talk about the burning bush and the Passover lamb. There was a man named Moses, and you've probably heard of Moses. Um, He was a Jew that was raised in the Egyptian royal household. The God that he worshipped was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how he was known. He was the God of the Jewish people, just them. Uh, he was um, raised in the Egyptian royal household, but in a, uh, he, he had an anger problem. And in a fit of rage, he murdered a man. And he was exiled. And in this exile, God came to him in the form of a burning bush. And he said, Moses, come listen to me. And he tells him that you are the one that I have chosen to go to Pharaoh and set your people free from their slavery in Egypt. Now, this was a big ask, (laughs) to say the least. Moses was a man who stuttered. Uh, He was a man who was uh, very, very humble. And he had some questions he needed to know about. And his first question was, what name am I going to tell both the Jewish people and Pharaoh who has sent me to do this? Under what authority, under whose authority am I going to go? And instead of God saying, well, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, I am who I am. He says, tell them, tell the people of Israel and tell Pharaoh that I am who I am has sent you. In other words, God needs no introduction. He is the Lord. I am who I am in Hebrew. It's called the Tetragrammaton. It's, it's, uh, it actually, when you hear um, uh, someone read the Hebrew Bible and they're of the Jewish faith, they don't read those words. They say Adonai. It's Yahweh. This is the name of God. This is the mysterious name of God. Yahweh, and I am who I am, look almost identical in the Hebrew type. So all of a sudden, we have something kind of similar to what was happening in the Gospel of John. For for, uh, John to refer to Jesus as the word, as this divine reason, something in non-Jewish language, that had started long ago at the burning bush. This was not just the God of the Jews. This was the God of the cosmos, the entire universe. He was the God. As the story goes on, Moses does go to Pharaoh 
and the people do get released from their slavery. But something happens first. There's one last uh, thing that has to happen. There are these 10 plagues, and the 10th plague was a curse upon the Egyptian people that the firstborn of every family, actually the, the uh, Jewish people as well, uh, that the, the firstborn of every family would be killed as the angel of the Lord goes throughout um, the, uh, the, the country. And he said to the Jews, anyone who sacrifices a lamb and takes the lamb's blood and paints it over their door, that household will be passed over. The firstborn son of that family will not die. Sure enough, anyone whose uh, house had the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice, uh, they were saved. And then they left and they were able to uh, be free and establish their own land and their own people. All right, where am I going with this? Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Passover Lamb. He's the God for all people. He's the Logos. He's the Lamb who was slain as he died on the cross. His blood was shed so that it can cover your sin. And this Jesus is God. He is I am. As we're going to see, every single saying about himself, he is referring back to and helping us remember the burning bush where God identified himself as I am who I am. Oops. Where did I go? Yeah, that's my cover letter, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Internship season, y'all know what's up. I'll just keep going. Um, I want to end with a uh, a story of a man I feel like we should know. This man's name is Zhu Kaming. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. He was a shepherd. Uh, he was a shepherd in the northern province of China. He lived in a work and worked in a mountain, uh, six thousand feet. I think more than that, above sea level. And in this mountain, there was an ultramarathon. Do we have any ultramarathon runners here? This is insane. I mean, one marathon is enough. The Boston Marathon, the picture I showed earlier, 26.2 miles, right? That is long. I've done half that, and I barely made it across the finish line. Um, imagine doing 60 miles. Imagine doing that on flat ground. Okay, now imagine doing that at 6,000 feet in the mountains of China. This is insane. So, so there were about 170 runners. Uh, they were running this ultra marathon. They were running it during the day, thankfully. But when you run a marathon, you don't carry a backpack. I don't know if you've noticed. You don't have a lot of clothing on you. All of a sudden, as they're running this marathon, I believe this is in May of this year, the weather dramatically changed. All of a sudden, there was freezing rain, hail, it got extremely cold. 21 people ended up dying uh, in this race. But this man, Zhu Kaming, he saw these runners. He saw their peril. He saw, it was around noontime. I imagine it got uh, dark. 
He saw what was happening. And he started by taking this one man who was, um, I, I think, passed out, and he brought him to his cave. I think the next slide shows the interior of the cave. And he starts a fire, and he wraps him in blankets. And he starts to massage his extremities, getting his blood flowing again. And then once this man is revived, he goes out and gets five more runners that if he hadn't come out of his cave in the middle of that storm and rescued them, each one of them would have died. But this man said, I was just doing an ordinary thing. I was just doing what anyone would do. And all, all six of those people's lives were saved. There's a story that Jesus tells of another shepherd. And this shepherd had a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep was lost. One of those sheep was not to be found. And he left those 99. I think we even sang it in our song last time. He left those 99 sheep to go after that one. Friends, I think we could live our whole lives searching through a Google of stuff, through Googles of relationships and maybe religions or paths in life. Uh, we can get overwhelmed by the rapid pace of change. Jesus is searching after you. Jesus is running after you. He is the one that is the first and the last, the one that is the ancient of days, the old God of the Israelites. And he came in the flesh, and he is here now in the Holy Spirit with us. And he always will be. He is the I am, the eternal God. He is the divine reason that holds it all together. We need to trust in him. And he is the one who is rescuing us and he has rescued those who have placed their faith in him. I think we could spend our whole lives running the race. What's going to happen when the storm comes? Who's going to come after you? Jesus has come after you. And he has brought you into his home. And he is inviting you to him now. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that often, even though we believe in you and we are called your children, that we act like we're orphans. We act like we're still searching for the love of our lives when you have come and you have sought after us. Lord, we just ask that we would rest in you, that we would find our peace, place our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.